Hello, this is Ellen's Random Podcast, and today I have with me Derek Burris, who works as a technical artist at Massive Entertainment. Thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. No problem. Excited to be here. How did it start? How did you get into working with uh, video games? Because it's not very common now, and 10 years ago, even less so. So, what started your passion? Uh, I mean, I always sort of played games growing up. Like, uh, my dad bought the Nintendo Entertainment System, so we played like Mario, and there's like a, some hockey game that we played as well. Uh, but always had game systems, and then when I was probably like 12 or so, I built my first computer. Oof. And then from then it was, I mean, I've always been playing games. Uh, and I kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota, so making video games wasn't really a thing that I thought about uh, until I got to college. Uh, and I actually met a guy when I was signing up for classes. Uh, he was taking Japanese, and I was like, what are you going to do with Japanese? Mm -hmm. You know, me, this farm boy from the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like, it has to be useful. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, so I was like, why are you taking Japanese? He's like, well, I'm going to make video games. And it just then, at that point, it sort of clicked. It's like, huh, yeah, that, that's, that's a thing that people do for work. Yeah. Okay, so I took the entire plan I had for my first semester of college, completely threw it out the window, and took a bunch of classes that I thought would be useful for making video games. So I sort of knew they were made up of like art and code. Uh, I also took Japanese as well because I was a big Final Fantasy fan. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, and then I just, because I hadn't really looked at the whole list of courses that were available. It was like a really big college. There was tons of stuff that I could do. Uh, so I went through and uh, just chose a bunch of random classes, like a programming class, I chose like a, a couple art classes, uh, and and then Japanese as well, because I was like, well, I need to learn Japanese if I'm going to make video games in Japan. I like that you sort of just made that connection based on, oh, you were going to go to Japan to make... Well, I mean, I was going to do exactly what this guy was going to do, Oh, you right? just copied his life plan, you're like, this sounds good, yeah. this is a good track, I want to go here. And I, it, it, it never, I'd never really thought about it, and then like when he said that, I was just like, that actually, that's way cooler than being, uh, I think I was going to, I wanted to be some sort of engineer. Yeah. Like that was the thing to do, you know, is uh, become an engineer of some sort when you're going to college. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I completely disregarded my entire plan that my mom had painstakingly set up for me, <laughs> uh, signed up for a bunch of random classes. Uh, and then this was during orientation for my first uh, semester of college. Uh, and then from there, it was, you know, I, I did a little bit, I searched around like interactive media. Uh, there wasn't really, I mean, there was a couple game schools back then, mm -hmm. but they were all kind of, kind of questionable. Yeah. People still kind of figuring out what this sort of training or education was for the game industry. Yeah. So I took a bunch of like random computer science, art type classes. Uh, they had the, in the art department, they had started getting some people from MIT Media Labs, which was working more with like interactive sort of art. So uh, okay. things like, we did like a this, like an installation thing when I was uh, in one of the classes there where it was pick uh, an art installation that sort of impacts one of the senses. Yeah. Right? So... That sounds cool. 
Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff was really interesting, and it was using a, like a very visual scripting language to write these little programs using these little like called crickets, these little chips. They're kind of kind of like a Raspberry Pi, right? A little circuit board that has okay. a bunch of like sensors and stuff you can plug into it. So okay. like as you got close to it, you could then to pro you could do a little code snippet thing to actually do something else. So like there was one guy made a cat where as you got closer to it, it started breathing and then oh, when you actually freaky. touched it and it changed the pressure, yeah. it would start purring. That's super cool. So that was but that was sort of the sort that's of things almost, we were playing around yeah, with. Yeah, that's almost like installation art, like Yeah, when very very much that was the the design behind it was installation art. And yeah. my focus was more like I wanted to get more into like making games. Yeah, the actual like video games. Uh, and then part of the, the track to get there was learning like action script. Yeah. Like when in Flash. So like making Flash games, that was one of the sort of things we did. I mean, this is back yeah. when Newgrounds was super, you know, it that was, was, it was the still thing. A th it was still a yeah, thing, yeah. You know, everybody played Newgrounds games, so we were making, like, Flash games and stuff uh, in these classes. I mean, ultimately, it turned out that they didn't really have people that knew a lot about making actual video games there. Yeah. That seems to be still be sort of a thing that there are a lot of, like, schools that offer courses on how to make games, but they don't actually have anyone qualified for it, and I feel mm. like that's a big trap that people fall into. But yeah, you, I mean, it's definitely something yeah. you saw in the U.S. a lot. And, I mean, ultimately where I ended up going yeah. was sort of like one of those. Like, yeah. they had some guys that had made some games before, for sure. Uh, but they didn't necessarily... The curriculum, they were, they were still figuring it out, you yeah. know? So it wasn't necessarily super focused. And it wasn't necessarily keeping up with the rest of the game industry as a whole. As far yeah. as technology they were using, programs... I mean, even game engines, like, mm. I was there and Unreal 3 came out uh, while I was still in school, in my second school. I ended up switching schools yeah. to one that was offering, like, a game program. Oh, you were like, these guys don't know what they're talking about. It seems more like it's Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was, at first I was at the University of Minnesota, and it was more like a very traditional college. Yeah. So they didn't really have, like, a game degree. Yeah. Right? Like, I could go be a computer scientist, or I could get an art degree, but nothing really ended up with, with me sort of making games yeah, at be, the time. Being so able to I come started, with a piece of paper to an actual game company and be like, hello, <laughs> hire me. They would have yeah. just been like, why? So, so that led me to search for some other things, and I ended up settling in another school that was, uh, I guess what people would call like a for-profit school. So it wasn't necessarily the cheapest thing. No. But uh, they were making games. Yeah. Right? So... I think like the core education of that school was really really good because yeah. it introduced me to things like polycount which is a, if you don't know it's an online art forum for game industry yeah. people um it's where i've learned most of the things that i know about you know making art for video games uh or at least been exposed to it but like they, they taught you a very good base of like okay this is 3D modeling, this is animation, like you go through the little class for like each of the little bits and you kind of touch the, the different aspects of game development, but yeah. they didn't really have like a, this is the art track. Yeah. You know, and this is even at a time when, I mean, when they started their program, the game industry was really starting to specialize. Yeah. It was getting to the point now where even like my role, like technical artist, yeah. was starting to become more of a thing. Like it definitely existed before, yeah. But, I mean, now, like, 
now the understanding of what the need for a technical artist is in AAA games is much different than it was when I was in school. Yeah. All the roles were so sort of diffuse and mystique, it had a lot of mystique around them. Yeah, absolutely. No one really knew what was needed. Yeah, because it was, I mean, a technical artist was somebody that just sort of uh, could sort of bridge that gap between art and code. Like they could write code, but they also had artistic background with the principles of art. uh, Mm -hmm. And you had this sort of bridge in between where they would be fixing a lot of these sort of issues that would come up uh, where it wasn't necessarily the art or the code, but it was something in between yeah. that you were where you were seeing this problem. So they, a good uh, communication facilitators and people that have interest in sort of both the technical aspects and the very creative, uh, I shouldn't say creative, but the very artistic aspects, visual aspects yeah. of a game. Um, I mean, I even, even when I was in school, I went to GDC as a student. What is GDC? Uh, It's a game developers conference Ah. that happens every year in San Francisco. Uh, So game developers from all over the world come together for conferences and there's a big show floor and stuff like that. Everyone trying to impress everyone else. Yeah, but it's really just a, it's, it's, you know, just like a trade show you would have for most careers. Yeah, for anything. Yeah, it's just, you know, people come and talk about what they did on this game and how this project went and... You get a lot of really good information, and you go out and you have a couple beers with people, and you get to meet people that worked on your favorite games, and they can you know talk about things that they did, and it's it's just a really cool time to meet a lot of really cool developers, uh, and get some really cool ideas. Uh, so as a student, I was clueless about yeah. what I needed to be knowing or what I needed to be learning, and there's this really cool dude from, I think he was from Sony, I don't yeah. know. We we found him one night at, at like a, at a pub. And he talked to us for like three hours yeah. about how how to actually well he was like we were like you know what we wanted to do and he's like there's this thing that's starting to be more and more important yeah so he ranted for like three hours about how technical artists were the future and and your fate was changed <laughs> pretty much yeah. yeah like I spent a lot more time looking at sort of the code and the technical aspects and sort of being able to understand what is happening mm. when this game is is running yeah to sort of fit that role yeah that sort of like many hats uh communication facilitator sort of thing yeah uh, but we, we definitely got a bit sidetracked there i mean that, that's sort of my origin story i guess yeah. i finished up school there uh and then i started a job as a qa yeah at uh, activision because they had a, a they had a branch in in Minneapolis. Yeah. I'm from from Minnesota, uh, and how was that going from studying something to actually working with? Did it meet your expectations of what you had imagined when you were studying what you would be doing? Well, it was it was it was very different, right? Because uh, I was studying to be like a developer. Yeah. I was uh, mostly interested in art. I wanted to be an environment artist, or I think I just wanted to be an artist in general. I didn't really know. How specific I needed to be, um, <clears throat> but uh, I graduated, and there weren't any real development studios around me. Like there was one or two that made some smaller titles, mm-hmm. but nothing close. And my personal portfolio was not up to snuff to, uh, to compete on the bigger yeah. Companies? Like I mean, if I would have applied to somebody like Blizzard or something, mm. then they would have probably just laughed at me. Well, they wouldn't have laughed because they're not mean people, but. It, it was not of the right quality. I needed yeah. to practice. I needed to improve. 
so uh, f I took a job as a QA tester. Yeah. Contract quality, quality, quality assurance. assurance. Yeah. So, well, yeah, they call it QC, I think. Uh, we're at Ubisoft now. But, uh -huh, okay. Yeah, it was called QA at Activision. Um, and that was, it was different, right? That's testing games, that's going through, uh, finding the problems yeah, I with think them. A lot of people, when it's like, oh, I'm a game tester, they usually imagine something very fun that you sit and play, like, a finished game for hours at a, at mm. a time. And that's not really what Q quality assurance is, <laughs> no, though. Like. No, not even close. Yeah. It's doing the same thing over and over and over and over again on multiple different builds to make sure it still works the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Like, uh, I was in the, like, the technical requirements group, so yeah. it was sort of like... The, the first parties, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, they mm -hmm. all have their own set of sort of rules on things like the way certain things need to behave in yeah. their title. It's sort of like a, a, a consistency Bible. control. Yeah, of, yeah a, bit, a bit like a, a, it's just a set of rules. Yeah. You know, and if you, you break one of these rules, then they won't publish your game or yeah. they won't let your, your game on their system. So you no follow. No flying rocks won't publish your game. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like one of the things is when you lose internet connection, yeah. you know, what happens? Yeah. You know, it can't crash. It needs to show you a message and tell you, hey, uh, you know. Please reconnect or something. Yeah, we've you lost connection just... to the internet. Yeah. Uh, and it needs to handle that properly from yeah. every place in the game. So some of, one of the tests was like, go to every single screen in the game and unplug the ethernet cable. That sounds really boring. <laughs> it's really boring and really monotonous. And yeah. it's not all of them because there's other things like make sure saving works and yeah. you have sort of different, I guess, categories of how you set that up. Like there's different teams. Like there's the technical team, which is going to deal with like the, the platform specific stuff. And mm -hmm. then you have your sort of functional team, which is going to be looking focused more on the actual gameplay loops, you know, do all the quests complete? Can I, you know, reload my saves and go to this point? You know, yeah. do the achievements unlock? Stuff like that. Uh, and you just, you see a lot of different iterations of these games, and it's, it was, it was still super interesting. Like, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. But I was still learning about sort of how games are made. You still, you got that foot in the door. Yeah, because you could see them, you would get them at a very early state. And you sort of, you, you, you'd be there along for the ride yeah. as they polished off and finished off this game. So yeah. you, something that you, first thing you got, you were like, oh boy, this is going to be uh, a terrible game. How much time do we have for this? <laughs> okay, okay. You know, and then it turns into this thing that's actually on a shelf and you're like, wow, that was, that was like three months. That's insane. Yeah. That was really fast. Uh, and it's actually uh, pretty good now. Cool. Yeah. So... Could you ever, like, after you quality tested a game, could you ever, like, pick it up and play it for, no. like, just for fun at home now? No. Not, n no. <laughs> not yeah. at all. You just, you just spend no. way too much time. Like, we did one NASCAR game where yeah. deadlines were tight and we were there, like, a bunch of extra hours and <laughs> we were, like, falling asleep because it's a NASCAR game and you drive in a circle. Yeah. So we were, like, we were just, like, trying to figure out ways, like, how do we break this game stay awake oh. while doing the things we need to do on this game so there's a lot of monster involved and um. uh and stuff like that but i mean it, it, it's one of those things i had a lot of people that i went to school with that mm. sort of thought that the it was demeaning to them and their education to take sort of the qa role 
because uh, the barrier to entry for QA isn't really super high. No. Right? Like, it's, uh, you don't really need a lot of pre-education beforehand. No. But, I mean, when I, when I took the job, it was sort of like, well, this is potential for connections. This yeah. is potential to learn more about the industry that I want to be a part of. Yeah. And ultimately, it did that, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't regret it. I feel like a lot of people as well don't realize how important it is still is in like video game business to have really good connections because mm. that can get you through the door like faster if there's if you have like the same level portfolio mm. and you one of them knows one of the people applying and the other one don't know anyone the person who can vouch for the person trying to come in is going to to be the one hired yeah sure i, feel like, I mean like, i think that's every industry really like probably it's it pretty much i mean like your connections are super important everywhere yeah. but even now like i look at you know even some of the guys that i i worked with at activision in minneapolis yeah you know there's they're they're all over the place now you yeah know, some of them are at blizzard some of them are at activision proper some yeah. of them are other other dev studios some of them switched over to mobile markets some people changed like just industries completely yeah and these are all people that you know it's like i, I worked with and yeah. and have connections with and it's i don't know it's uh, it's very interesting yeah. how that sort of works and it is a very small industry yeah. like you meet a lot of really cool people and there's there's a bit of a, a digital nomad yeah thing going on where people will you work with people for three four years two two three years uh and then they go to do something else yeah, the typ pr pretty typical is the uh, project hiring, mm. and then you let everyone go at the end of it, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know about Sweden, how, like, I know well, it does happen. Yeah, a certain percentage, at least. Like, yeah. I think that the amount of, like, fastanställa, uh, properly hired people mm. is higher, but they do have, like, this percentage of people so, yeah, that yeah. are just contract people. To, to fill in a specific need for a short yeah. period of time and then yeah yeah I mean, that, that that was how everything was in the qa was yeah. everything was temporary yeah and and it was actually that sounds pretty stressful though yeah i mean it was you didn't want to be full-time because then you got salary uh and you didn't get paid overtime hours why would you not get paid overtime hours if you were... I don't know. I don't know. That's just the way that okay, it worked. Okay, okay. I will... I, I was a lead there, and it came, like, in the summer when we were doing a lot of crunch. I was making less than the, the guys that I was managing. Wow. Because they were working a bunch of overtime and getting their, their overtime hours. That is ridiculous. But they also didn't have health care. Since, yeah, U.S. Yeah that, yeah. that is a whole different thing. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. So... Either way, mm. after all this, after QA, you ended up moving to Sweden. Yes. Did you know a lot about Sweden beforehand? Um, not really, no. No. Uh, I mean, I knew that you guys were really good at Counter-Strike. <laughs> meatballs? I think we're pretty famous for meatballs. Yeah, we had IKEA in, in Minnesota. Yeah. And, and there's also sort of like... Nordic roots in people that settled in Minnesota. Yeah, there's a lot of Swedish descendants in that area. Yeah, this it's it's all over the place. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so you you got a call or? Oh um well I mean I ended up coming over here because uh, a friend of mine with back to the connections thing. Back to the connections. It's uh, all about the connections. He somehow had mm. found his way over here to Sweden. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and this is my my friend from when we were in school. Yeah. The the the, the sec- first university. The second the second, second university. Um, he only went for a little bit, but then he dropped out. Yeah. We kind of all stayed in contact, and we were, we had like, a group of a few people that were, like, doing art and looking at all the new cool stuff that was coming out and trying to, you know, learn how to be 3D artists in the game industry, you know, mm-hmm. for games, build portfolio and stuff. Um, and he called me up and said, yo, uh we're looking for a technical writer. And I was like... What is a technical writer? Uh, people who write, like, manuals for uh, things. okay. Like, very technical, like, document stuff. And it was for... The studio that he was working at was building a game engine. Yeah. And they needed some help to uh, get the documentation and stuff rolling for that. Okay. So I was like, okay. Uh... I guess I haven't really done that before, but I can apply mm-hmm. and interview and see what they say. Yeah. I, I think I could do it. Uh, so I applied and they liked the experience that I had. I mean, I had done some where I sort of revamped the, the how we did our testing and stuff at Activision. Yeah. So I had done oh, a bunch of... Oh, you had already done, like, a I had done a bunch of documentation yeah. and, and changed how we recorded and stored all of the way we did all of our sweeps and checks and stuff. Well, and that sounds pretty perfect, then, for, for that role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a pretty good understanding of what it was that they wanted. Uh, and I sort of had the, the technical artist mentality then already. Yeah. Um... So I was like, yeah, sure, I, this, is, this is something that's definitely within my... Your wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I, could, I could definitely do this. Yeah. Um, so I applied, and they flew me here. They did have some phone interviews, and they liked, uh, they liked me, so they flew me over here. Yeah. And I did the interview, and they had me just like make them a quick tutorial or something, and I just did that on the fly. Yeah, uh, at the interview, they were just shoved a computer I used, like go or. Well, the, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, uh, "Can you teach me something?" Like, what they're like, "What game engines do you use?" And I was like, "Well, I've been using a bunch of uh, UDK, which yeah. is like the free version of Unreal Three." And they're like, "Can you teach us something about UDK?" Yeah. And I was like. Uh, oh, sure. That sounds very in- intense for, yeah. for an interview. And I was kind of like, hmm, how, what am I going to do? Because they didn't have a copy of UDK oh. for me to show them. So I had to, like, Google search images that had the correct interface for things that I wanted to show. Yeah. And I managed to, like, sort of, they gave me, like, an hour or something. And I yeah. hobbled together this tutorial about material instance constants and how they worked and why they were cool. Yeah. Uh, in UDK and they liked that uh, so I went back to the hotel after the interview Yeah. Uh, and I had fallen asleep because I was jet oh, lagged jet lag. pretty bad Yeah. Uh, uh, I fell asleep and then somebody was knocking on the door mm. of the hotel room and I was like what's going on uh, and it's the receptionist yeah. and they had massively been trying to call me oh. to come back over Oh. because I was right next door Oh, okay. There. So, uh, and then they, uh, they offered me the job. 
Oh, that they were. So they were. They were pretty happy with. Uh, but like you, you went out through the door to go to your town. They were like, we really like this guy. It's like, yeah, we should call him. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I had like I think a week or something to make the decision. Okay. About whether or not I was going to actually move to Sweden. And like I just made a T chart. <laughs> very very logical approach like pros and cons oh, yeah. of moving to Sweden. And then it was just more pros, so I was like... Good meatballs. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to Sweden. I was like 26, I think, 25, 26 when I moved here, so... And, and yeah, and you just up and left. Yeah. That is, that I, is insanely I, rave, though. I that literally is crazy. moved here with a suitcase with clothes in it. Like, I gave away all my furniture, and I'm like... You are it was all like person than I am. Cheap, oh, like, Ikea furniture that was like passed through multiple people in college it was, yeah. I still had college kid furniture yeah um so I'm like I'm not gonna ship this across <laughs> the Atlantic there's no way yeah. so I just yeah I just packed a suitcase and said that I would build a computer when I got here and that's what I did all right well, yeah. well that is crazy cool mm. I don't think I would had the courage to just up and leave an entire country when it for a country I didn't know mm-hmm I mean, maybe if it was also, like, in the dream field, sort of, getting close to that, but... Yeah, I mean, I think for me it was a really good opportunity to get into a dev studio mm. and, and be around like-minded people. Yeah. I mean, because like, while I was at Activision, there were a lot of people that liked games, but there wasn't a lot of people that sort of uh, wanted to make games. Yeah. Right? Like, they just like playing them. Well, they liked playing them, and some of them were, were they liked the the testing aspect of things, yeah. and they didn't have any sort of aspirations to go on to be an artist or a programmer yeah. or stuff like that. Some, I mean, some of them did, of course. Yeah. But it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of. We didn't talk about that a lot no. while I was there. No. Right. It was very. We had our our own jobs to do, and you know, it was just me doing art and stuff in my free time. Yeah. Which sort of kept me. Kept you going. Somewhat sharp, but. You know. Yeah. But, so first moving to Sweden, when, when you actually did, what, are there any big differences you felt at the time? Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot like Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, <coughs> it's uh, not that different. No, going there, I was actually surprised by how, like, the nature is mm. basically identical with, like, the kind of trees and stuff. I mean, yeah. the city layouts are completely different because yes, it's based yes. upon different things. But mm. generally, yeah, you can sort of recognize, like, yeah, there's there's a birch tree, there's a field, like, mm. of course it was corn instead of wheat, but... Yeah, I, I think it's... And I think the mannerisms of the people as well, like, and I think, like, ideologically how people in Nordic countries think mm -hmm. is quite close to the way that people in sort of urban areas in Minnesota think. Yeah. Uh, More in the city, yeah. Like, like in terms of like politics and like uh, social services and things like that. Yeah, how that should work. I think that, I think that's, mm -hmm. uh, they're quite aligned. I mean, yeah. they're not exactly the same, obviously, but, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't a hard fit yeah uh to to sort of get along with people here yeah like they're 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 sort of coming from the same ideological place as i was yeah. and i knew that coming into it yeah so i knew it was going to be you were prepared to yeah you know it's just like you know sweden and you go to seattle or something like 
your ideological, like your your base for thought is is coming from a very similar place. Yeah. Right. So it, it's pretty easy to to get along with people. Okay. Uh, and you guys are amazing at English. Uh, <laughs> it's and everybody's so worried about it, but your English is a billion times better than my Swedish. Like it's, you're really 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 good at English. Mm. Like I shamefully don't speak very much Swedish uh, and I've lived here for six years yeah but I think you can sort of get away with it in Sweden as well like because people tend as I've seen it switch over since they hear that you're struggling because they think they're trying to help you yeah so they're like oh it sounds like you don't know it well I will switch so you will have an easier Mm -hmm. time when yeah it's really shooting yourself in the foot like yeah or like you go to the same like shop or something to buy Mm -hmm. groceries and they've seen you before and the first time you spoke to them, you spoke English, and then you try to speak Swedish, and they just respond in English because they already made the switch when they saw you walk up to yeah. the register. Like, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's whatever. But uh, no, it's been good. There's obviously some things that are like you need to figure out how stuff works, like the banking. Yeah. Moving here, I, that was I was super confused why I just didn't get a password, and. Uh, and like, like my email and a password to go into my online banking. I had oh, to like yeah. get an ID and then go get a card. Yeah, the bureaucracy c- maze can be difficult to navigate at times in Sweden. Yeah, Even it was for a, native Swedes, it, it was yeah, it was just a, bit, a roundabout. You don't get out of. Yeah, it was very. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out now though, so we're good. Yeah. Well, can you tell me something you miss from the U.S.? Something I miss. Something you miss, if if anything. Mm. I mean, I think I miss my car. You miss your car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't need a car. Yeah. Especially like in Malmo because I mean, the public transit is great. Things aren't that far apart. Yeah. So I don't really need the car, uh, but I do miss uh, the mobility, maybe. Yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm a bit of a night owl, so things in Sweden tend to close. Uh, you know. That is very true. I've, you know, all the stores I, close at like eight. You don't really the do the. You don't really do the whole twenty four seven convenience store sort of things no i mean i think they exist but like over on like truck stops and stuff yeah it's out in the wilderness yeah which i mean if i had a car then i could just go to this wilderness truck stop (laughs) and get my you know my drink or whatever i wanted to do so convenience is basically yeah i think i think that's why i miss the car like i don't miss the insurance payments in the car i don't miss changing the oil on the car i don't miss like like Okay, let's go, let's go for a beer. It's like I can't. I'm driving. Like I don't yeah. miss that at all. Like I actually really, really like the the bus system. Uh, I might gripe about it every once in a while because you sort of forget, uh, you know, and you just complain a little bit. But it's uh, it's really, really good compared to anything in the U.S. That I, that at least in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. How did the buses work there then? Uh, I don't really know. You don't know. But it's I a, a mystery. But to I had everyone. a car. Yeah. I, had, I mean, I had a car since yeah, you I, never really had I turned learn. 16, and then I always had a car, because yeah. you needed a car to get around. Yeah, forget that. For me, it feels very dangerous to have 16-year-olds driving, like, two-ton machines around. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So, what's three things you like about Sweden? Three things I like about Sweden. Hmm... Uh, you like the bus system. I do, I do like the bus system. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I like the bus system. Um, I like the... 
I actually like the approach you guys take to like paying high taxes. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of we're going to pay a bunch of taxes, but we're going to invest back into our society to yeah. make it better. Right. Yeah. So like the cost of education, you know, making sure people get uh, you know have somewhere to live. Yeah. You know, and like uh, and really like it gets reinvested into it reinvested yeah. into the society and it supports it. I mean, yeah. there's going to be lots of people that have different opinions about whether that's being done wisely or not but yeah. i think just generally across the board it's accepted like yeah yeah we're it gonna we're gonna obvious. we're gonna make sure yeah. people don't go bankrupt because of they uh you know need their kidney replaced yeah you know like that uh, that that sort of mentality makes me feel really good and i don't yeah. really mind i mean of course i would love to have more money everybody always would but i don't necessarily see like feel like i'm being stolen from no you know for me that feels like if I grew up in a society like America, where mm. if you get hurt, that can bankrupt you for years to come, and your education is going to be lifelong, that feels very—it feels very uncertain. It, it is it's very I mean, like, oh, you better not have an accident and break your leg. I remember like not going camping and stuff when I didn't have a job because I didn't have—I was—I I was, it was questionable whether or not I was still able to be covered with health insurance from like my parents. Yeah. So I was like, well, if something happens. Uh, okay, yeah. I just won't go camping right now. Oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, you sort of miss out on things just because the bear... Yeah, this I mean, might actually lend that was really probably a, water. was probably a bit overly cautious for me, but yeah. it was like, it's a thing that I thought about. Yeah. And like here in that Sweden... That would really occur to you. It's not even a, th- a train no. of thought, right? Like, no. if you break your leg, just you're going to get help. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately Socialism how Socialism is a plus. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, healthcare and everything. Yeah. So, so that resonates with me for sure. Yeah. Um, I think the people are really friendly. I think they can come off as rude if you don't understand how think, society works, but I think ultimately they're friendly. Yeah, I think uh, you sort of just gotta learn. We have very different signals. I think with like yeah. body language, and we're from what I've heard as well. Like we are very like you only talk to people in certain like situations and places like. Coming and talk to someone at like a bar or like yeah. something like that that is fine. Coming up at a bus stop and never will be like, no, this is not the talking place. Yeah, exactly. For strangers, <laughs> like, and that's why. Oh, I think and it makes sense though. It's not yeah. unlike like Minnesota in the winter. Yeah. Right. Like if I'm walking around outside in the winter in Minnesota, yeah, it gets much colder than Malmo ever does. Yeah. Uh, if somebody tries to talk to me, <laughs> I'm just gonna completely ignore them. Like I'm gonna be like, what? Why are you talking to me? It's cold, dude. I'm trying to go from point A to point B, and you are interrupting that. Like, yeah. You better be dying or in serious need of help. Yeah. Why are you talking to me? Yeah, holding them up in the cold. Maybe that's the root of the. Because I mean, Swedes so. are generally seen as a pretty cold people. But I think we just don't... I, I don't know what it is, but I think we just have our own rules. You do. I mean, you have different societal rules, and... I mean, they're not that different, but it's no. the, the way your sort of friend circles work, and and how, like, uh, I've heard it multiple times when talking about, like, Americans, like, Americans seem very fake. Because mm-hmm. there is this sort of another layer of social sort of acquaintances that you have yeah you guys have acquaintances we don't have acquaintances yeah you guys don't really do that so much right no. like, so you talk when you when you talk with somebody they're like your good friend or you spend time with your good friends and friendships are yeah. very important and you spend a lot of time you invest a lot of time you invest a, a lot of energy to maintain your friendships yes 
And if you get invited to a barbecue, yes. you better go. Or have a really good excuse. Or have a really good excuse. Yeah. Because you can't just if not you show up. do what I did, then they will just stop inviting you to barbecues. And they will think that you hate them. Even though you don't hate them, you need to make it very clear. Yeah. So that's a, that was something I learned pretty quick. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's something that I didn't expect. No, I think this, we're all secretly very insecure. Like, he didn't show up. He hates us. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's just, it was a big limb for, for this person to go out on mm. to invite a new person into, into this, the, social circle. the social circle. And then I just blew it off. Yeah. Thinking it was just sort of a casual, like, yeah, if we're going to have a barbecue, come by if you want. It was more like, I like you. I want to be friends with you. Yeah. Come to my barbecue and meet my other friends. And then see how you fit in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I did not catch that at all. No. Not, but now I definitely understand yeah. the implications. The importance of the first hanging out outside of work. Yes. Or yes. The introduction to the friend circle. Yeah. It's sort important. of a, it's sort of an 18th century ball thing. You get someone is like, okay, now I'm introducing you to the Duke of mm. someone is like a big thing. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for letting me interview you. No problem. You have been a great guest. Thank you. Thank you.